And I realized the more I write prose essays, like I can't get through a paragraph without scrutinizing it because of what I'm used to doing with language and poetry and how much I'm used to, to honing and, and scrutinizing it. Is, it becomes excruciating to write pages of prose because I just won't let myself, you know, I won't let myself just do that unconsciously. But um, I do love working with punctuation and uh, lineation and breaking lines and arrangement on the page. I like poetry the way that people like crosswords. Hi, this is Stephanie Fowler. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, the stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have Christopher Salerno, award-winning poet and professor of English at William Patterson University in New Jersey. His poetry has been featured in the New York Times Magazine, the American Poetry Review, Pen America, and many other notable outlets. Christopher's most recent collection of poems, Sun and Urn, won the Georgia Poetry Prize in 2016. So welcome to the podcast, Christopher. Thanks. Thanks for having me. You had this uh, collection of poems that you put together. Was the concept to put it in for the prize, or was it I'm making a book and I'm going to submit for for this prize? What I did was write the book and then submit it to a number of places, hoping that any of them would consider it. Um, and, you know, I was blessed to make it through with this one. And, um, so it wasn't necessarily written for that press or that prize per se, but it was, it was submitted to them because I liked the judge quite a bit and had high hopes for, for the, (laughs) for the experience if, if it were to get published. Sure. And obviously that was, that worked out well. It did. Yeah, it did. I, I've been tremendously lucky with these prizes. I don't, um, I don't know how, <laughs> I don't know how it happens. But the last three books that I've done have come through book prize contests, um, and they've come, they've been published through those contests. Sure. And would you? And and I think the with the first through Mississippi, and then yeah, the first. Well, my that was my second book. So my first book was was called Whirly Gig, and that was in two thousand six. Um, and that. I just I submitted that to several contests and whatnot, and it got close here and there. But um, I ended up publishing it with a small press in Brooklyn called Spite and Dival. But yeah, the second book um, was called Minimum Heroic, and that came in two thousand and ten, and that won uh, the Mississippi Review uh, Poetry Series Prize. Um, and uh, then the third, my third book um, was called ATM. And uh, that won the Georgetown Review Prize from uh, uh, in Kentucky. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Now, you said that you had a, an idea about what the judge was like. Uh, we, we've been speaking with people who, when you're submitting, once you, once you get an idea of who's going to be doing the reading, it makes the submission process a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. We were talking with nonfiction writers about mm-hmm. this. Uh, I'm sorry, about with short story writers about this, how mm-hmm. if, you, if you've got a sense of what they're looking for, then... It doesn't help you to write for them, but it helps you to know, all right, this is, these are some places yeah. where um, my work will at least be accepted or at least mm-hmm. go over a little bit better. Absolutely. I mean, over the years, I've, I've had several instances where, you know, and, and I think other writers do this all the time, if they're looking at contests or prizes and they look at the judge and they think, okay, 
I may make it through the editorial process at the at the press, but then this judge I just know would not really like my work mm. or might. And you know, the times that I've won have been times that I I had a better feeling about the judge if I were to make it through because they really are two separate experiences. Mm. You know, you can you can make it all the way through. And then, because I, I also facilitate a contest, a book contest, uh, as editor of Saturnalia Books, and you know we we go through this rigorous process to find, you know, ten finalists, and then we hand them over to the judge, and that judge we never know what they're going to pick. Right. So it's a, it's exciting and interesting on both sides, <laughs> as writer and as editor. Stephanie was talking about her experience judging a contest, and it was. Mm. Um, there was uh, it, there were multiple judges, and the process of sitting down and talking with and being surprised at how many people hated her favorite story and how mm. many people loved a story that she had mm. no patience mm. for at all. It's yeah, really um, arbitrary, it seems. Yeah. Do you mean um, your work was was ex- you know being read differently by different people, and you is that what you were? No, I was. Um, there's a. A local press here uh-huh. in Rehoboth, because um, actually we're recording today off out, outside of Berlin. We're actually recording in, in Rehoboth Beach, and there's a, a publisher here in Rehoboth, um, Nancy Sakadusky, and she has Cat and Mouse Press. Mm. And every year she does the Rehoboth Beach Read Short Story Contest. Mm. And so people will kind of submit kind of beach reads, pretty mm-hmm. light, pretty easy. Um, and there she will, she asked me and a couple other people, uh, there were, she has six judges. And so we all kind of come to, we all get the, you know, the, the submissions mm-hmm. and we read them and we go through different rounds of it. And it was just what Tony was referring to is that, uh, when we got to the final round, we all, all the judges, we sat around the table. We actually sat around Nancy Sakadusky's mm-hmm. kitchen table and we all had our list of stories that we liked and, it was just so interesting to me that some people just loved stories that I just oh, it just didn't mm-hmm. click with me at all, and then there were stories mm-hmm. that I just really, really did like that mm-hmm. didn't even blip on other people's radar, and it was mm-hmm. like it made the whole process made me feel a little bit better about when I submit and get rejected because I'm I'm always going to remember that experience of. It as to what you were saying, mm-hmm. sometimes you just have to figure out who the judge is and if that's gonna if your work is gonna click with them or not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we get we get like three or four hundred submissions for the book contest at Saturnalia Books, and you know when we sit down to try to make it to, to get it down to ten after it's gone through all these all, you know all the different st- uh, stages, it's always amazing the different editors uh, will. You know, we usually have a handful that overlap, um, but but there's usually about half that that are you know various between the editors in terms of their favorite ten. You know, and what I love is to is to find you know if if my other editors say like oh I wouldn't put that one in or I don't like that one and so on, and then when I when I see that that book has been picked up like a year mm-hmm. later i always feel like i knew that one should have been in the top <laughs> you know I, I always feel i always feel happy about that because i feel like i knew i picked a, you know i knew i had a good eye on that one but a little bit of vindication that's right that's right and it happens almost every year actually so and uh, so so you've put just put together this sun and urn yeah um, when you sit down to do uh are you collecting poems along a theme or are you collecting your favorites that you think will appeal to a to a broad audience? That's a great question, and it's um, it's 
you know, it's a um, it's an important one for for writers of poetry because I think we kind of take two approaches. Um, we either just write poems and they add up and they gather up and then we think, oh, do I have something here I can make into a book? Or do I just say I've got a certain number of pages, that's a book? Or on the other hand, do we say, oh, I have an idea for a book? And then as we write, we sort of write in that direction. In the last two books, I've started doing that. I've started saying, okay, I, I have this general idea. I'm not going to let it, you know, um, I'm not going to let it, you know, stop me from from exploring what I want, but I am going to try to um, look for, cast a net for ideas that I'm getting on a daily basis that could feed it. And so, therefore, the project will kind of grow along those lines thematically. Mm. And so the last book um, was ATM, and that book was kind of a um, semi-humorous take on financial... um, you know, dealings and also um, personal relationships with money and and um, and so on, and it and it kind of ran through the poem. Certain poems were about you know um, banking and experiences with the ATM, and they were they were pulling in imagery that was related to that to that world and those themes. This book, um, Sun and Urn, is a much more personal and slightly darker um, book, more about um, the passing of my father. And these poems kind of came after that, and so I kept uh, I kept growing that, you know, along that theme um, until until it was a certain you know until the until it filled out the book, and then that was what I kind of put together and packaged. And in the meanwhile, are you take if so? You were saying you won't not write something because it doesn't fall along right. the theme. Are you you're writing those other poems in our? Are collecting them out? Are you submitting them? What do you do with the poems that don't fit? I will say I don't usually. I, I kind of don't write them, or oh, I write, really? or I put them toward. So, I, as a poet, I've I've kind of grown this um, this this way of trapping ideas over the years, where I will write down lines, ideas, images, notes, and I'll put them in a journal or on my phone in a note in a in a folder. Um, and what happens when I have these ideas running, these themes running, rather, is that is that I'm I'm mostly just writing down the ones that feed. Mm. So I'm not even really looking at. I'm not even. I guess I'm not really opening myself to all the other ones. I'm not closed off to a line that I think would be great, but it may ultimately, if I write it down, it may serve a poem that serves the theme. Mm. You know. So yeah. So my so that's also to say that the poems I that I that don't just come whole. You know, they don't come formed and I'm rejecting them. It's really line or image by piece by piece that, that I'm putting together as a, as a poet. That's sort of my, my way of, of writing anyway. So I'm, I'm able to kind of, you know, set up a gate that, that kind of allows in the ones oh, yeah. that fit the theme more so than, hey, I have this whole poem. What do I do with it? Hmm. Yeah. Right. So it really seems like they're hand forged they kind really of are, yeah. little bit by little bit. And I had a question as you were as you were talking, and it was actually something that triggered in my mind when you and I were talking a little bit before the podcast about I at one time in my life I was a, a horrible poet, a terrible poet, and I took a, a class at Washington College and um, created nonfiction, and that really changed my whole approach to writing and the way that I wanted to put words together. Mm-hmm. But my question for you as a poet, like, 
when did you know that poetry was the way that you were going to see the world and, and how you were going to kind of relate these experiences that you were having of the world? Yeah, I think I, I probably had a similar experience to you, except just switching out the genres. I mean, I, you know, as a as a grad student early on, I I realized that I um, I was interested in all the genres too. And you know, at some point in graduate school, they make you pick, right? So I was equally majoring or equally, you know, um, dealing in you know fiction even creative nonfiction, screenwriting, poetry. I, I wasn't quite sure until it came time to actually commit to a thesis that I was going to write and so on. And, and then for me, poetry made more sense because I just like to deal in uh, smaller, more controllable, kind of um, uh, almost like um, small containers you know, um, I, I like the idea of the image and distilling things down and compression. And um, I just love working on these small projects that um, have larger implications. So I, I like the idea of distilled um, language like that and compressed ideas and language. I think that is one of the things that I so admire about um, poetry and especially poets who do it well is that they've there is this economy of words, you know, nonfiction writers like Tony and I, we have pages, we have sentences, I've got paragraphs to, you know, get where I need to be. But a poet really has to have an economy and word choice and really getting to the essence of a thing sort of immediately and directly. And I've always heard of, that's been one of the things that why, how I, why I struggle with poetry. Um, but you know, it seems like that's something that really sort of sparks for you. Yeah, it is. And, and the the inverse of that is that prose writing can be really painful for me. Like I occasionally will write an essay or, or something. I, I got asked to write a couple little essays. And I realized the more I write uh, prose essays, I can't get through just a sentence without scrutinizing Like I can't get through a paragraph without scrutinizing it because of what I'm used to doing with language and poetry and how much I'm used to to honing and, and scrutinizing it, is, it becomes excruciating to write pages of prose because I just <laughs> won't let myself, you know, I won't let myself just do that unconsciously, you know. And so it can be really hard to generate, to generate prose. But, um, yeah, I do, love, I do love working with punctuation and, you know, even uh, lineation and breaking lines and arrangement on the page, and it, it's all... It's all really fun to me. I, I kind of I like poetry the way that people like crosswords. You know, I I, I see them as um, small, you know, things to compose and arrange. And I could write the same poem for, you know, a year every day. I, I could rewrite it and tear it up and then re, sort of rewrite it a different way. I, I tend to really enjoy that process. Well, it makes sense because of what you were saying before, where you have these pieces floating around mm-hmm. that, in my mind, you're kind of. Like, oh, no, it's not done yet. But then eventually you find the pieces and you, and you kind of click them in together. That's right. And so that's, that's where the crossword yeah. analogy yeah, seems to make sense. A, yeah, you're, you are. You're sort of finding a way to fill out the boxes. But, I mean, it, it, it can – you know, it's certainly there's a lot more organic you know, quality to it than that. But, but in, to some degree, I mean, you could – you do find yourself where you could, you know, get rid of or erase – whole passages and rewrite them and have just as much fun as the thing you erased and there's just as much promise in a whole new section or stanza that you could recreate and 
Um, so, yeah, I do love it. You're also an academic, so when you have to choose, you were saying before about having to choose between mm-hmm. the genres, you also must have thought you had something to say professionally about poetry, like mm-hmm. um, as, as an academic as opposed to not merely but only a participant. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I love most about um, about teaching is is you know sometimes I'll choose to teach poets or or, or uh, eras of poetry that that I don't know um, what I want, that I don't know something about that so it'll force me to to you know fully invest in it so I can teach it and um, you know I love to to get in and teach poetry as literature but also you know, as a writer. And so I like to go back and forth between, um, you know, the writer's perspective and also as, you know, from a literary perspective. And um, I find that it enhances my understanding of my own work too, obviously to go on, to jump back on the other side and talk about it as literature or as a piece of, uh, as a, a piece of literary history. Now, does it get exhausting to do both? Um, for me, um, uh, it's a lot harder to write for fun when you're writing a lot professionally it's like mm. well what do you do for your living well i write and what do you do in your spare time well also i write <laughs> yeah and, and sometimes I, I sit down like if i want to do like a fun blog i sit down and i'm like i don't have the energy sometimes yeah there are semesters like i think the one coming up i mean i'll have there will be there will be times when i'll have three three classes that will all be turning in poems you know at the same time <laughs> Um, meanwhile, I'm editing a poetry magazine and also editing a press uh, that publishes poetry and also writing my own poetry. <laughs> so it, <laughs> Swimming in it, then. <laughs> there are just times when, I, when I'm, you know, and especially with student poetry, there are times when you, yeah. it's not buoy, buoying you as a poet to be, you know, down in the, in the muck with, the, you, know, um, you know, trying to help students tinker with work. I mean, it's, it's enlightening and it's fun and, and I like it, but... There are times when there's a little too much poetry in my life, to be honest. Uh, yeah. Do you have any tactics for, like, erasing your brain for, for disconnecting? Good question. I think, um, I think I just try to enjoy the contrast between what I'm, what I'm seeing in front of me that is not what I'm doing and what I know I want to do. You know, I think it's just like in anyone else as a writer, the more you read – the more you learn about what you want to do and don't want to do or how you want to be influenced or not and so on. You know, the, the, the takeaway for me in, in digesting all this work is just, a, just I, I like the awareness that it grows in me of what I don't want to do, um, you know, and how far I may have come on this one aspect or one kind uh, aspect of technique or craft and what inspires me. You know, so I try to enjoy that part of it or learn from that part of it. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe television. I don't know. (laughs) Well, I do know that you even took that a step further and you sort of blended them because not only are you a professional poet, not only are you an academic, but you also created a course in teaching MFA students Mm -hmm. how to teach creative Mm -hmm. writing. So it's almost like all these sort of circles kind of kind of keep blending and swirling for you. They do. So what was the sort of inspiration to create the course? Well, I wanted, I mean, you know, we have a relatively new MFA program at William Patterson University, and it's a great program, and we have this amazing faculty. And as the program started growing, um, it be, you know, it seemed to me that um, a lot of the students were interested in teaching. 
you know, and uh, so it, we thought it would be great to have a pedagogy component and um, to get students working with, you know, in, intro to creative writing students. So this semester, you know, I'll have, you know, a, a, um, a cohort of graduate students, and then I'll also have an introduction to creative writing class. And at some point in the semester, the two will meet, and those graduate students will come into my intro to creative writing course, and they will um, interact with and, you know, sit with and work with the, the intro writers. And and I think that that's really valuable for them, and it's valuable for them to see, oh, you know, these elements of craft are really important, and, um, you know, students at this level um, can really benefit from learning these techniques about writing and in the different genres. And um, I, th- I thought it would be a great idea for, for a graduate program to have that benefit, even though the realities in academia now are that most graduate students coming out of creative writing programs are probably more uh, inclined to end up teaching comp, uh, composition and rhetoric, because there are just so many more sections of that. At, at universities and less creative writing. But I thought that this might give our students a leg up if they were looking for, you know, some kind of teaching job to be able to teach creative writing after they left the program. Well, and I guess it also doesn't hurt to just be good at getting in touch with students on something that might not be good. Because getting criti- – especially, I guess, as a, as a young college student, getting criticism is really, really hard. And, yeah. and giving criticism as a grad student must be – like, I would expect it's either real mean <laughs> or or not direct enough. I, I feel like, do you, do you think that they kind of find a way to zone in doing that? Yeah, well, we work with them on evaluating, you know, student writing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we do quite a bit. I mean, I bring in a bunch of student poems and we talk about, we walk through them and, you know, how would we grade this? You know, what does grading even mean in creative mm-hmm. writing? How do we approach that? And um, you know, we read some theory and, and then we, we walk through some of that and they end up being, you know, really nice and graceful about it. And, um, they don't end up doing the actual grading in the course, but, but they, um, you know, they do engage with students and they lead them in exercises and, in workshop and, and things like that. So it's, but you're right. I mean, as a, as a, as a new instructor or as a, as a, as a young teacher in the classroom, it, I think it's a great experience for them, mm. you know, to get in front of students and and to also be talking about their, you know, creative writing at the same time. It, it brings those worlds together like like my worlds are always together. <laughs> it, it does some of that for them and I think it that ends up it ends up, you know, uh enriching, you know, their world of their writing world and so it's nice. Yeah, and I would think too that going back to teach other students the craft of writing would also be almost a lesson in the craft for themselves. Cause you have to, you're explaining the rules, you're explaining mm-hmm. why these are the rules. Oh, yeah. Um, and you're kind of explaining these things. I would think at the same time, that must be a really good reminder. Like, Oh yeah. Hello. Myself yeah. should, you know, that's, yeah. you know, that, that yeah, going back to the basics. I mean, even for me going back there and, and, talking, walking them through a student poem. I mean, it always puts a lot of the priorities back on the table for all of us. You know, we think about what makes good writing and why this piece or that piece is, is working well or how it could work better and on what grounds. And, 
and it becomes a it, it, yeah you're right I mean it's edifying in a number of ways and it and it really shows even these grad students like oh yeah this is important in this genre that I'm in love with you know th- these are the important underpinnings of of it you know and it's good to go back to that for them so it ends up being a valuable course I think on a on a number of levels and so when you come to a Something like this. So we're here in, in Rehoboth because mm-hmm. you're here at a, at a writer's conference. Um, what part, what, what, what hat do you wear into this room mm-hmm. and how do, you, how do you take the participants from where they are to where they can get? That's a really good question. I mean, um, I love doing this kind of work, you know, sitting, at, sitting around a table with, you know, a dozen writers who um, are really eager to to you know flourish and to move forward in their poems and i like to share i think i mean i see myself kind of as the 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 best thing that i think i can offer is a look into the contemporary moment in the genre you know i think as an editor and as a as a poet myself and and as a as a reader of current poetry i always think that that you know we don't have a lot of access to contemporary poetry um, if you go to at your local bookstore, there won't be um, – there will be very few uh, literary journals, and there won't maybe be a giant poetry section, right? And so the, most of the people I meet outside of academia and even inside are are starved for current living poets. They don't – like my students don't often know, have a, a list of con- living poets to, to, men- to mention. And a lot of people in workshop settings like this don't – um, have a lot of um, relationship with living poets. And maybe they have a few and, and maybe they have a lot. Um, but I like to present to them a range of here's what's happening right now. And here are the different modes that um, that we're seeing out there. You know, So I, I like to bring you know a dozen poems that represent the f- spectrum of what kind of poems are coming are coming out today mm. and walk through that with them and see what they think and look at the differences and contrast this one to that one and see what they where they might want to be because you know it's really important for writers to say to themselves you know I I want to enter the conversation but I need to know what the conversation is right so we cannot we cannot write as if it's another century and p- expect to contribute right in a, in a way that and so that seems to be the biggest the biggest thing that I try to offer is like try to say hey you know here's here's what's going on here's what's happening see what you like what do you think how is this made let's talk about how this is made how this one's made and what this one's made from it, that's it's fascinating to me because it's something that never occurred to me that so in in fiction and in nonfiction you know that there is a conversation that you're joining and that mm-hmm. it's an older conversation but it's happening now and. It doesn't – like you said, it made sense, but it doesn't – you don't – many people don't think of poetry as a contemporary conversation mm-hmm. that's built on an older conversation. They just mm-hmm. think it's an older conversation right. that they have to hold up new pieces to yeah. to see if they fit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's like the yeah. – I mean it, it is. I mean it's – most people who don't have a relationship with poetry think of it a, in, a, in a way uh, that it's a sort of antiquated kind of thing. And um, But – no, it's moving forward and it's progressing, and you know um, the venues that publish it are progr- are are more progressive and uh, publishing more and newer voices and more and newer minority voices and 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 you know people that 
that have not always um, had their voices heard are having their voices heard in more venues and and the and the style is moving forward and and getting more and more interesting and so and there, there's so many wings of uh, and so many you know uh, colors on the on the spectrum of, of style. And are there any particular um, contemporary voices that are kind of passing your desk either? academically or as the editor of Saturnalia Books, are there any voices that are particularly resonating with you right now? I think, you know, we've got um, some great authors um, that have new books coming out at Saturnalia. Um, Hadara Barnadav has got a new book out called The New Nudity, which is wonderful. Um, Shyla Lawson has got a new book coming out. It's called I'm Ready to See Frank Ocean. Um, which is a, a really wonderful experiment writing into Frank Ocean songs. And um, there's just a lot of really great contemporary uh, poetry that um, is so much more fascinating than people imagine and so much more uh, fun and even hip. <laughs> yeah. um, One of the first poems of yours that I came across was uh, the one about the, the bakery and, mm. you know, and is it hope or nope, mm-hmm. you know, in that, in that moment. And I remember reading that and I remember thinking, I wish this poetry had been sort of something that I could have keyed into much, mm. you know, much longer ago. Yeah. I mean, we really have it backwards in this country in terms of how we do how we serve up, uh, poetry to, to young people. I mean, we, we sort of get them in, in elementary school and high school with really old stuff. And then they end up resisting it because they don't relate to it. And then they don't get to where they'll actually get the new stuff, the fun stuff. So really, I think if we inverted that, that, that experience for them, they would, more people would love poetry. If they could, if they started out reading contemporary poetry, that was humorous and fun and engaging and relevant to them in their lives now, and then they could graduate to reading, you know, 17th century poems and other poems that were, um, you know, wonderful and major and important, but in some ways so sophisticated for young people that they, and so formally um, and technical, that they usually end up running the other direction. And they show up to me uh, with a lot of anxiety about poetry because I think they end up, because they've got it backwards, you know, they... They've been yeah. given something that just sort of frightened them, and they never really gave it another look until maybe they came and got interested again. But most people... Right. It's almost a sort of static versus dynamic. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? When you're kind of going through school, it's, it is the, the John Dunn, you know, kind of stuff mm-hmm. that's kind of all there. But then to see something that's very dynamic and kind of strange and kind of wonderful and unusual... Mm-hmm. You know, when I was, you know, even your poem, Bray, when I was like, this is just so interesting that, like, I wish this had been kind of something that I could have looked to, you know, and I I just feel like you're absolutely right that there, if we could kind of flip it a little bit and let people Mm -hmm. see that poetry can be this complex, kind of strange, kind of wonderful, all the, all the different adjectives that you can kind of throw Mm -hmm. at it instead of a very sort of you know, formal kind of yeah. moment with the reader. Yeah. And in, and there are a lot of institutions that are doing a good job with that. I mean, especially in New York and Chicago, I mean, Poetry Foundation, um, the Academy of American Poets, I mean, they are getting contemporary poetry out there as best as they can. Um, 
and they are doing a better job of it. And you see some poetry in the subways, and you see poetry on buses, and there are a lot of good initiatives in, in cities and things like that for it, and um, and and in other places in the country too. But um, I fear that 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 by that point, a lot of people's relationship with it has kind of been come and gone because you know, as young students, it's like, all right, here's your Shakespeare sonnet, here's your John Donne, and you're terrified and then you don't really go back to it, you know? And yeah. I, it's like, whew, got that over with. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, Oh God, let me get, you know, get me away from Checking this. Checking it off the list. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so what do you feel like you've got coming up next You're You're, um, are you already working, collecting more poems? Do you wait until you get some time off? Is that a, um, that's a good question. Yeah, I do. I, I, I don't have a, I, I regularly make notes and make efforts to, to, um, draft work, but, um, and I do work with my schedule a little bit, um, you know, the semester starting up next week. And so um, oddly enough, when the semester starts, I start getting more interested in making poems. <laughs> For some reason, that seems to happen every year. I don't know what fires up in my brain to teach, fires up also to write. It's unfortunate because it's not it's not well-timed. I but, think it's the pressure. I think the pressure of having too much to do is gives you ideas about things that yeah, you'll never get done. I think yeah. you're right. I think we, we all probably have that. But, uh, yeah, I do have another, um, you know, another project that I'm working on, and um, and it's loosely themed around exploring, examining uh, ideas of masculinity and, and gender in America and society and very loose, uh, loose idea. Um, and... I have been writing poems toward that, um, but I, I've, you know, I've still got, I've still got quite a few to write. Mm. Yeah, you know what? I have plenty of things to write. You have plenty of limericks left to write. Always a limerick to write. If anybody wants one, how can they get one? Sure. If you like the show and if you like what you're hearing, you can visit us at www.sowhat'syourstorypodcast.com. And if you click on the contact us now, give us a word, your name, a mailing address. Tony will take that word, put it into a limerick. I will put it into a haiku. We will put it on a fancy schmancy postcard and put it in the mail to you. Just like it's 1943. Yeah, we're going to pay somebody to bring it to your house. (laughs) All right, Stephanie. Now, this is the part of the show where you thank the guest. Well, Christopher, thank you so much for, for staying late and hanging out and talking about poetry with us. Well, thank you both so much. This has been great. So What's Your Story was recorded at Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Visit us at sowhat'syourstorypodcast.com where you can find past episodes, guest bios, show notes, and all sorts of fun stuff. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher Radio, and if you like it, then feel free to give us a good review. Tell your story.